Hello, it's Brody. I love bringing mummification to you each week, and if you'd like to support me to keep doing that, you can make a once-off donation through the Acast supporter feature. There's no regular subscription, and your donation will help pay our music license, buy audio gear, and put fuel in my car so I can keep interviewing the amazing women who share their stories with us. There's a link in the show description and episode show notes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Mummification. I'm your host, Brody Matner. This podcast is a space for women and parents to talk about how they're feeling. And sometimes they feel like swearing. So this episode may not be suitable for young ears. So there's so I think there's so many layers to it. There is, you're right. And how do men, if if the woman is breastfeeding and if she is the primary carer for the first six months, how do you build? And you think about matrescence. Mm. Well, I don't know what the dad equivalent is. Detrescence. <laughs> Let's we'll coin okay. that phrase. Yeah, detrescence. <laughs> like that also means then we need to be better prepared dads for detrescence. <laughs> <laughs> so I love when we're going to make detrescence a thing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh dear. Today I'm speaking with Renee Barnes. You are mum to Bobby, who I've just met. <laughs> Firstborn. Firstborn doggy who might run in and out. Um, and Hamish, three and a half, and Max, one and a half. Correct. Yep. Uh, Renee and I started speaking about motherhood and matrescence a couple of months ago. And since then, we've sort of motivated and bounced ideas off each other. And I've found your drive and passion incredibly inspiring. Oh, thank you. Thanks for chatting with me. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, if you were stuck on a desert island and you could take a meal, a drink and a personal item, what would they be? Look, I can't look past coffee. I love a wine, but we're going a piccolo. Okay. <laughs> I'm a true Melbourneian, so smashed avo on toast. Oh, you've... Uh, I'm going the smashed avo. Smoked salmon. We're going all out to okay. a poached egg. Yeah. Because I had two pregnancies where I wasn't eating poached eggs, so yep. we have to catch up on that. A little bit of goat's cheese would be nice. And right. some dukkah on top. Do you know, fun fact, you can have Meredith goat's cheese when you're pregnant? You're telling me this I know, now? You're just destroying me. <laughs> I know. I know. I found out when I was pregnant with June. Oh, that is brutal. <sighs> Two pregnancies without Meredith's goat's cheese. Yeah. 
That's not cool. Um, and the what would I take? I had a big, a big think about this and I don't know if I'm being cheeky. I would like a blow-up boat because <laughs> I'm going to go nuts if I'm sitting on an island by myself for too long. So I need to be able to explore. Okay, that's cool. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't, yeah, that's really thinking outside the box. Um, I would like to start with your personal story. Yeah. And how having kids changed your career. Okay, yes. I guess professionally I'm a people and culture manager, so just short of 20 years of experience in that space. And I started my business, The People Paradox, seven months into my first maternity period. Um, And I really wish my story was one of courage and ambition, but the truth feels very, very different. Um, I was made redundant when I was six weeks pregnant with Hamish. And even though I saw it coming and even asked my employer if it was likely to be happening six months prior to it coming through because it was it seemed quite obvious being in a people and culture role that there was too much fat at the top end um, it still felt really really brutal after at that stage of 15 years of, of stable corporate career um, and I guess it felt like it was the one time that I needed the employer to be working for me and it fell short Mm. So that was that was really hard. It was an interesting situation. Um, I had taken on an HR manager role at a company that I thought was my dream, but I quickly realised that there was a facade that shielded a very orchestrated and toxic internal environment. But because I was trying for a baby or we knew that we wanted to have a baby in the next year, I stuck it out knowing that stability was more important than happiness. And mm. that is probably a very, very common story for a lot of women, I'd say. Um, so once the redundancy came through, I didn't know what to do. Um, I managed to find a six month contract, which literally took me up to the birth. So I finished on the Friday and went into labor on the Monday. (laughs) We love a bit of efficiency, worked perfectly. But in that role, I was 16 weeks into the job and the CEO offered me the role permanently at 16 weeks, first child, I wasn't showing yet. And I was just wearing like all of these corporate sack dresses, which was really, really hot. Um, (laughs) And when I advised that I was pregnant in that conversation, which is just the biggest error, like you always get everything in writing before you advise that you're pregnant, but the offer was taken off the table. Um, Wow. It was an interesting experience because working in people and culture, I'm very across all of the discrimination laws and protected attributes of which pregnancy is one of those. And here I was having that experience and I also I guess know that if it's all verbal and nothing's provable there wasn't much that I could do about that situation but I don't want that to be a complete negative look I the the CEO and I have a very good relationship relationship still um, and he backfilled me um, with somebody else for 12 months so that I could return He called me three months into my maternity leave and said, are you ready to come back? And I said, I'll give you three three days a week and then from six months I'll give you four days a week. Are they legally, is he allowed to do that? Yes, because I because my contract had had finished and he'd backfilled me with another contract. Right. It wasn't legally my role, um, so you know there there are always loopholes in mm. the system. Um, but he leg- was in his legal rights absolutely to do that. Mm. Yeah, and so what he would have done in that instance if I turned around and said, 
you know, three months into that maternity leave, um, yes, I'll come back to the workplace. He would have then provided notice to the the backfill, the person, the other incumbent who came into the role, mm. and their employment would have terminated, and I would have stepped back into the role. Right. But because I couldn't provide five days per week, that didn't come to fruition, mm. um, which was which was tough again because in hindsight, providing three days a week from three months and four days a week from six months was ludicrous. You know, Hamish didn't sleep longer than. I feel like four hours um, overnight until he was probably, yeah, I'd say twelve weeks. So it was it was a really silly situation to find myself in, but everything really just felt brutal because it wasn't on my terms. And I think I felt ashamed. I felt really scared, mm-hmm. and I felt really, really depleted, um, and my confidence plummeted. And I remember my husband asking me why I was allowing one year of turbulence to unpick a very stable and, and a, a good corporate career. And in hindsight, that was the right question to ask. Mm. But I just didn't have the words. I didn't have the emotional clarity to understand what was happening to me. And I felt like just another woman that was in this vortex of motherhood. And I just hoped that I wouldn't fall so far that I couldn't climb back to wherever it was that I wanted to climb back to, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so that was a very difficult experience, but seven months into my maternity leave, I was really ready mentally to be doing work. Mm. Um, and had I been in a stable employment, I probably would have reached out to my employer. But instead, I got called by somebody who had worked in one of my teams previously in an organisational redesign project. And she called me and said, I need someone who understands org redesign. I'll pay you 25 hours a week. You can do it at 2am whilst you're breastfeeding. I don't (laughs) care how you do it. Just deliver the goods. Um, And I did that. And it led into another opportunity and another opportunity. And now I've been running the People Paradox for three years. And I love it. So there's a good outcome. And do you want to tell me what your company, The People Paradox, does? Yes. Okay. Well, I get asked this a lot. Um, <laughs> what <laughs> What does the word paradox mean? So um, in terms of study, I, I studied social science and then I specialised in human resources. And so I'm all about subjectivity and nuances. And um, The People Paradox picks up on the natural tension between organisational constructs aiming to achieve very specific outcomes Mm. um, and employees who need to be seen as individuals and need to be enabled um, to contribute in order to feel like they're they're valued and they're at their best. So the People Paradox is a people and culture consulting business um, where I work with small to medium-sized businesses in particular, building up their fundamental HR practices and then enhance programs to get achieve higher productivity, engagement, retention out of their staff. But I guess my ethos or my approach is recognising that if people are not enabled to bring their whole self to the workplace, then you're not getting the best out of them. And that is the future of work. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about the work system yes. and returning to work. Do you think the traditional work system is set up to support mums returning to work? 
It's a huge question. And I think firstly, the nine to five workday was introduced by Henry Ford in the early 1900s and obviously catered to men's lives and, and measures of productivity of that time. Over a century later, the workplace looks and feels very different. We know that. But some of the traditional work systems still underpin our legislative framework, our expectations and our constructs. And, and I think that's where we have a big problem. Um, I think, you know, from an employer obligation perspective for women who are um, accessing maternity leave or, or parental leave, there are very specific obligations that the employer Um, has to protect that employee within the Fair Work Act. And at a very high level, they are things like being pregnant or having primary care responsibilities is a protected attribute. So employees um, cannot be discriminated against due to that attribute. Employees have access to parental leave for 12 months and they can request a further 12-month extension from their employer. Um, the employee must have access to their substantive position upon returning to the workplace unless the role has been made redundant or flexible work requests cannot be accommodated by the employer. Um, and I think those two, those last two situations, they're fairly prevalent um, mm. when women access parental leave and find themselves out of a job. It's usually in those two categories. So, if the position has been made redundant, the employee is treated the same as any other um, employee in that situation. They need to be consulted with um, on the changes and they need to be considered for any other redeployment opportunities so that they can step into a like position through reasonable training. Um, if an employee requests a flexible return to the workplace, the employer isn't obliged to agree to that request. However, they need to use reasonable business grounds to make that decision. Um, and, and what is reasonable business grounds? It's things like how costly the arrangement would be to the business, the capacity to accommodate it, any productivity impacts or negative impacts to other employees in the business. So I think sometimes it, it uh, can feel like employers are not listening or they're not uh, willing to accommodate the flexibility requests or that there might be a precedence in the business um, to accommodate flexibility. And I can't talk to individual experience, but what I can say is the employer has an obligation to listen and to try to make that request possible. Mm. Um, different employers have very different approaches and precedents to supporting returning parents, and we have definitely come a long way in the right direction. However, my motherhood experience and the experience of meeting my friends still leaves many women feeling like second-class citizens, trying to, the words I use is, contort themselves to fit into traditional ways of working, which is not sustained. And especially as our lives become busier and busier and busier, it becomes too difficult. And so we opt out. So what are some of the significant barriers mm. that exist? A really obvious barrier um, is the physical attachment to our children as a primary carer. And we, we've talked about this a little bit. Um, yeah. When I was pregnant, my husband and I discussed potentially sharing the primary carer role in the first 12 months um, with me returning to work after six months so that I could breastfeed and, and do all of those things. Um, when the time came, I was really mentally ready, but I was breastfeeding. And by then, Hamish and I had established a, a really good routine that provided us with some sleep, not a lot of sleep, but it was worth everything. Um, and the thought of disrupting that and going back to, I guess, what I call survival mode, yeah. just, I mean, 
I hyperventilate at the thought of going back into those days where there's sub two hours sleep overnight, you know, the, the anxiety that comes with that. Um, Martin was working in a male-dominated environment and for him to request to take parental leave was a really huge cultural challenge um, and he would have almost been the, the poster boy for flexibility within that organisation. And and so, you know, that didn't happen and, and the cycle continues. Um, I think exclusively breastfeeding is another really obvious barrier, or barrier although nuances within this are, are a little bit more complex. If you are breastfeeding and, and your baby won't take a bottle but you want to return to work, it's very hard to shift that situation. Um, I think framing breastfeeding as a choice that mothers make, mm. especially with the pressure that it puts on mothers to breastfeed, you know, in our, in our society, um, isn't fair. And there are so many complexities. So, you know, employers can do things like they can offer breastfeeding rooms, fridges, blinds to be put up for privacy in, in an office. Um, there, there are workarounds to make that possible. However, a barrier I found in my research is that a lot of employers don't make that obvious to employees. They don't offer it. And so it's up to the employee in that return to work conversation to say, is this possible? And for some women, that's really embarrassing. Can I take my ridiculously loud breast pump and book out, you know, different meeting rooms for 15 minutes at a time and walk around the office holding my ridiculously loud breast pump? (laughs) Come on. Yeah. It's 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 too it's too hard. There are women that do it, but it's too hard. And well and we talk we we'll talk later about how there is already so much yeah. for you to think about. Yeah. And then when you return to work it's an extra layer. Yeah. Um and so then for you to have to manage things like breastfeeding or pumping yeah. on top of that and yeah. for that to be your responsibility when you return to work. Yeah. It's just I can see why that would just be too, too much. Hard. And it's things like, you know, I, I had four rounds of mastitis across my two children because my milk supply was – I honestly could have fed a small village. It was <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and empathy and to women who want to breastfeed and can't. Like, I you know, I don't say yeah. that lightly because I know that can hurt. But that was my situation and it was horrible. I was just this – massive cow. (laughs) (laughs) So the complexity was, you know, if I was 15 minutes late for a feed, I was going to explode or I was going to get mastitis again. And anyone who's had that knows it is, it's pretty scary stuff. Fear of God. (laughs) It's horrific. It's horrific. Yeah. Why do employers need to do better? And how would that benefit not only employees? It's okay. Martin's having a meeting. Um, <laughs> Sorry, my husband's coughing in the other room. <laughs> Everyone's working from home. Um, and how would that benefit not only employers but employees as well? Yeah. Um, well, I think firstly employers have a duty of care um, for their employees more than they ever did before. Whilst it appears in our legal framework, it has become more prominent in our people's strategies as employees' expectations are very, very different to what they used to be. Um, Employers now realise the value of recruiting, engaging and retaining talent, or they should, (laughs) um, to achieve their employer needs and to enable employees... um, to become a whole person at work. So we used to talk about work-life balance a lot 
and now we talk about work-life integration. Mm. And, you know, COVID has really applied a, a, a magnifying glass on that exact topic. Um, you know, ABS data tells us that two in five employees are parents. By taking on a, that duty of care that already exists in our expectations, employers have the most fantastic opportunity, not only to do the right thing by their employees, but to be an employer of choice um, and to create a competitive advantage. So this is a win-win scenario. Um, There are an incredible number of fantastic people programs that do exist out there. But as I said previously, my research has revealed a lot of the time employers don't promote what they're offering or the options are not visible to parents leading into the return to work conversation. And we all know there's a, there's a real fogginess that um, some, and I'm going to talk to mothers, some mothers experience whilst they're off work. So coming into that return to work conversation prepared and aware of what your options are and having thought about what routine would work with those options or how it could be possible is, a, is for, in my opinion, a huge missing piece in, in the puzzle mm. um, and would help us, you know, achieve much better outcomes. A lot of programs or programs that are out there are things like paid parental leave, buddy programs, coaching programs. There are now a lot of parent networks out there. Um, Paid superannuation is becoming more and more common. Keeping in touch days is is a legal requirement. Reinduction is something that all employers should be doing, especially at the rate of change that we're seeing. Um, Job share scenarios are more prevalent, although I'll touch on that in a moment because they're fraught with with issues on occasion. Mm. Um, Part-time, flex time, the list just goes on. So something that I think a lot of employees could do better is actively measuring the the experience of returning parents through a survey or something similar so that they're putting in place the right programs. They're not investing in programs that are actually not doing what they want them to do. Yeah. Creating flexibility that works is a real challenge for employers and I'd love to see more employers breaking down the ways in which they work into what I say bite-sized chunks through job redesign projects. It's important because you can put in place the best really good practices but if the flexibility practices are not aligned to strategy, they're not aligned to culture, the employee accessing that flexibility will always, always be made to feel like they are a problem, they're less committed and an inconvenience instead of what they actually are, which is a superpower. Um, a quick example, I'll touch on the, the job share arrangement. It's fairly common to put these in place, but unless you have a system where For example, the two incumbents have a crossover day where they can communicate with one another, which is a cost to the business to Mm. have, you know, a a day of crossover. And unless you have a really committed manager that understands how, you know, their different talents, their capabilities, their weaknesses, and is willing to be hands-on, it generally doesn't work in my experience. I'm I'm smiling because (laughs) that was... um that was my situation when oh, I returned to right. work. Yep. It was uh it wasn't a um a strictly job share role. Yeah. Um but it but it pretty much was. Yeah. And we did have one day where we worked together. Yeah. Um but we didn't do exactly the same jobs. There was enough for both of us to be doing things and yeah. that was okay. Um but just in terms of having a manager who um, supported that yeah. and uh, 
understood that and nurtured that, um, that wasn't the case at all. <laughs> it's from what I've seen, that's probably the most important part of a job share arrangement. Yeah. It's a really popular thing to do because we're looking at people as FTEs, full-time equivalents, and we're looking at jobs as full-time equivalents. And this is where I say that if you're not breaking down your work into more flexible chunks of work, mm. um, you're actually you're actually almost missing what is coming in terms of the future of work. You're not setting your organisation up in a way that it can accommodate people who've got portfolio careers, which is really, really popular now and will become more so where people have multiple revenue streams coming in from doing completely different things. Um, you know, people are starting to really prioritise wellbeing. You know, there are lifestyle choices. Um, people are really focused on not travelling large distances and distances eating into their their working days. So can you look at having core hours and flex hours to be able to accommodate those people to try to encourage them to come and work wherever your work location is? Um, employees have a, a plethora of unique and sometimes opposing skill sets. I, I sort of put myself in that category where I uh, have a really uh, – you always get nervous talking about yourself. <laughs> so, oh, I hate doing this, but, like, I, I, I do have a very creative side. But – Work And you need that in the workplace, but I'm not talking about, um, you know, in the people and culture space, there's also a lot of policies and procedures and ways of working. Yes. Um, I often feel like if I can't use my creative side, I'm not really adding all the value that I could add in my, my role with an em- employer. So if we're not enabling people, if we're not breaking down work and enabling people to contribute with everything that they have got – we are missing a huge um, opportunity in the workplace mm. to be more productive and have just better business outcomes. The other thing I'll add to that yeah, <laughs> is obviously with COVID, don't let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> is that being way too positive about a really horrible no, situation? No, I think it's – I think it's – Go on. <laughs> okay. I was just going to say COVID, COVID has been a huge magnifying glass um, for these issues that we're talking about and almost the perfect disruptor. Um, so it demonstrates that flexibility and productivity don't have a linear relationship. Um, and I hope that employers are learning and, and maximising on that experience. During COVID, Deloitte reported that 65% of women increased their domestic labour compared to prior to the pandemic. And that's staggering. That's frightening when Mm. you think about the mental load and you think about, um, you know, what somebody is worth if we were to break down work as being equal. Um, And now social media is alight with what's been termed the great resignation, which brings to light how many women have needed to walk away from employment during this period. Uh, It's a tight talent market. We're seeing a pre-GFC talent market, which is basically saying there's not a lot of people out there and people who are perhaps um, in the passive market, which traditionally has been the better market to go to because they're usually quite talented people that you need to entice into your organisation, that passive market is just not there. And um, the research is telling us it's because people are exhausted. So if they're not they might be interested in new opportunities, but the idea of needing to start afresh and to potentially do it from home is just an exhausting concept. So employers need to learn that that flexibility is the way forward Mm. and start leaning into this. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Um, something that's come up a couple of times in a few different episodes yeah. is um, women, and, and I'm I'm generalizing just based on conversations that I've had. I know that this isn't. This isn't the case for everyone. Yeah. But the women I've spoken to don't want to do less at work, uh-huh. but they want the flexibility or we really need more flexibility. You know, someone um, – hello, Bobby. Um, someone, <laughs> Is he licking your toes? <laughs> you know, it's horrible. No, I've, got, I've got my shoes on. He's just got his head on my knee. Um, someone pointed out to me, Ellie Bullen in episode two, that um, – you know the whole the whole system is broken because mm. kids are at school mm. nine till three. Yeah, how does that work with a parent that works? It doesn't. It doesn't. And you know, you look at the number of women who are graduating from university, and you look at their career tra- trajectories, and you look at when you know. I bro, it's ridiculous. I push myself into a senior management role by the age of thirty because I knew. I'd seen enough in the people and culture space that if I wanted two children, I was going to have a five-year, I don't know, hiatus. It wasn't necessarily that I wasn't going to be working. I just knew that I was going to stagnate for five years. And I wanted to make sure that I reached where I wanted to be before that happened. So at least then I could step in at that level Mm. and, and then do whatever I wanted to do. Now, it turned out that being there wasn't what I wanted anyway, but, but, you know, to have to think like that, uh, you have to be someone who does pre-plan and, you know, have have some clarity and, and some ambition. And there are a lot of people who thinking like that isn't the way that they are, the way that they want to be or the way that they should be. It's mm. a really sad state of affairs. And have you looked into why and how that's different for dads? Look, I, I'll be honest, a lot of my research has been focused on mothers and the reason is that 77% of women take on the primary carer role yep. um, and I guess due to my experience that was what I've, I've lent into um, and I'm also working on that new program that I've, I've mentioned to you as well which um, I hope to be rolling out next year and I can touch on if it's relevant in uh, a bit later on in this but... I do definitely think that the dad's experience and and same-sex couple's experience is incredibly important. Um, We know that in general the role many dads take on is to provide for families, uh, to earn money and to enable the mother traditionally to to care for the child. Now, you know, there's a pressure I think that comes with that for dads about earning money and being that breadwinner. Um, 
And, and I also think, you know, the, the government provides dads and partners with two weeks of, of paid leave upon the birth. Um, and many employers exceed that, enabling dads to have more time at home. But I would love to see every employer offering, offering dads the ability to work from home for 12 months in a flexibility arrangement. Hamish was born pre-pandemic. Obviously, the most incredible thing to have a child. So I never want anyone to feel like I'm negative on, on that. I feel like sometimes it's very easy to lean into the negative. There's so much joy, but it was one of the loneliest, most isolating, most terrifying times of my life. And Martin would come home and I'd be like, there's your child. You know, he hadn't even got off the bike. And I was like, there's your baby. Take him. I need a shower. Um, whereas Max was born in June after, after the pandemic, similar to- Same um, as- June. June, My yeah, June. your June. June. June, June. June, June. Born June. Um, and Martin was at home. Same oh, as life. It was the best thing. Like I can't even describe. I feel quite teary now. It was just so different. Mm. I just I wasn't lonely. I had help. I could go to the toilet without a baby sitting on my lap. And I know all of that sounds really simplistic to people who might be listening. But no, but it's that's – that's your existence every single day. Every single day. And if you are somebody who has hobbies and you are creative or you, you know, I needed, I needed a lot of time to myself. I like to think and I like to ponder things. Why did you have kids? <laughs> <laughs> I ask myself that every day, bro. You know, and, and yeah, to be by yourself with a baby, it, it, it's a really, it's a really, it's matrescence. You know, it's a really, really challenging time. Um, so I don't think I've really answered your question, but more work needs to be done in this space. Yes. Um, and and also, I guess, from an employer perspective, you know, same-sex um, relationships are now, thank goodness, part of normal society and mm. embraced and celebrated in the way that it deserves to be. Um, you know, our, our neighbours are a um, two males and they've, they're – got a little baby and mum is in that relationship and in that life as well and so they've almost got three parents amazing what a great ratio. and I talk to them about that you know I say this just is the best thing ever yeah <laughs> so my point is that once again employers need to be asking themselves you know one really healthy question you don't have to revamp everything straight away but one really healthy question is if we did one thing different that supports women to return to the workplace in a, a more considered way, what would it be? Just one thing. If we were to make our workplace more parent-friendly, what would that look like? Just one thing. If we were to build more inclusive practices and recognise that the traditional um, way that the family looks is changing, how would we accommodate people in that situation and make them feel valued and respected, you know, they're, they're pretty basic questions. I run some um, gender equality workshops with some of my clients, and they're the types of questions that we ask. We're not trying to do anything radical, but we're trying to make changes incrementally, month by month, six months by six months, to look different year on year. And I think I think that's the starting point. I imagine that for some corporations where this. Um you know, ways of doing things are really ingrained, mm. that little steps like that feels achievable. 
Definitely. Or maybe achievable is the wrong word. It feels like you're not really shoving it down their throats. Do you know, I could geek out with you on this <laughs> for a really long time. Like, okay, so the, the thing about changes like this is if you make them their own thing, often they're not taken seriously. But if you look at your standard business practices, the things that happen anyway, and you say, how could we change this? Um, I should use an actual um, example, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> but how could we change the way in which we um, – you know, do this business activity to be slightly more parent friendly or just more inclusive. Let's let's use the word inclusive. That's when it actually gets owned by managers and it gets owned by other um, employees, rather than making it like the culture club. You know, that thing on the side that nobody takes seriously, but we have to tick the box and have it. So we're going to do that. Mm. Everything has to be integrated and it has to be looked at from um, systems symbols and behaviours of work, which is what formulates culture. And at the end of the day, culture is, you know, what what we accept and what we don't accept consistently over time. That's what culture is. So let's ask ourselves, what are we accepting and what are we not accepting and how can we change our practices to be more inclusive? I feel like talking to you is like being at uni. (laughs) (laughs) That is not a good thing. No, no. Oh dear. No, in like a... I need to lighten up. No, not at all. In like a, I really feel like I am learning something. Oh, that's so kind. Like, like and I, but I've had this experience with you before. I get off the phone from you. I'm like, oh my God, Renee's so <laughs> smart. No, no, no and, I, I wouldn't say I'm smart. I just... No, but it's great. It's really nice because I... I, I oh, hello, Bobby. Um... <laughs> Because I don't, I don't study, and I don't really wish to study mm. anything else that may change, but I doubt it. Mm. Um, and so I really, I'm, I really enjoy our conversations oh, because so nice. um, you know so much about things that I know nothing about, and you explain it. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear Bobby licking my hand, um, and you <laughs> Bobby, explain down. it in a really. Come here, you can sit at my feet, Chucky. Um, you explain it in such an accessible. Oh, Why? Thank you, bro. Thank you. And look, it's I love these conversations because it, it, I think we all just learn from each other consistently yeah. by sharing yeah. experiences, which is why we're here today, isn't Abs- it? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about privilege. Oh, <laughs> yes. Do, do you want to? Oh, Should yes. we just leave it? Yes, I want to. This um, is just hard. So you once told me that throughout school uh, you were told that you could be or do anything that you wanted. Yeah. Um, and then you grew up into adulthood yeah. believing that. How did that change for you when you became a mum? I was just so underprepared on every level. The school that we went to was very, um, you can achieve, you know, very meritocratic. You can achieve whatever you want to achieve. You just have to believe and you have to work hard and, you know, yeah. all of those sentiments. And and I don't, I don't disregard how important that is to create drive and ambition and all of those things, but I just don't think it was realistic. Yeah. I just don't think there's enough education um, and, and I shouldn't put it all on, you know, there's something about there's parenting, there's educational institutions and then there's you um, being interested in life and that you formulate your ideas and your understanding of the world through those different it's learning opportunities. But So much of that comes from the education system so that you're does. brought up in yeah. um, and something that I'm only just doing now and I'm nearly 40 yeah um is questioning that 
Yeah. Questioning some of the things. Yeah, and unpicking it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I thought I was getting a teddy bear and I wasn't completely naive. Like I knew the teddy bear could bite me occasionally, but I thought it was this little thing that I was going to mould and I was going to, you know, create the right type of conditioning and enable to be the most incredible human being, which I still I still aspire to. I haven't quite given up yet, but it's challenging at times. And I was really given the, the rudest alarm clock you've ever met in your life. Um, and in terms of privilege, I love – can I – Shout out to another podcast. Is that appropriate? Um, I absolutely love Adam Grant's work life. And there's an episode on how to build an inclusive workplace. Um, And the line that sums up, I guess, privilege for me is your life has an advantage because there is a disadvantage that you don't experience. And when I heard that, I I think I might have cried. Um, I would have been driving because I only give myself the you know, the lovely opportunity to listen to a podcast in between picking up the kids or going to work. My life had an advantage before kids and I was completely unaware of the disadvantage. And I guess um, that's part of matrescence is so much of you gets taken away and that transformation, transformational experience that, that women um, go through. Um, has that touched on... Can yeah. I share a story? Please. And it's a, I, I, I've told you about this, I think, in the past. But, um, you know, I have a physio that, that I see for women's health and I'll talk about that if you'd like to hear more about that as <laughs> well. It's all part of the story. And I was talking to him and he's of African descent and he asked me a question when he found out that I work in people and culture. He said, how do I, how do I prepare my daughter for the world that she's stepping into. And I felt like crying because we had just been talking about, um, you know, he, the experiences he had had from a race perspective all of his life and the disadvantage and, you know, just a casual physio appointment this was, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to the physio and relax a little. It's a time out. <laughs> but he was just beautiful. He opened up and he was sharing his experiences and challenges and then he, then he slammed that question down. And I just, you know, I just out the experience that minority groups have, um, and the racial terrible racial experiences that are out there are just another layer of oppression that people need to cope and deal with. And you and I sit here, you know, from a position of privilege and try to make sense of our own lives. And and that's okay. That's important. We can't say that that's not important Mm. because other people have other challenges. Um, but when he asked me that, I just wanted to, I just wanted to cry and roll up in a little ball because I don't know the answer. And, and I said to him, I think resilience is a huge part of it. I think education is a huge part of it. Not setting someone up to believe that they could achieve anything, being realistic about life, that Mm. yes, you should dream. Yes, you should have ambitions and yes, you should challenge the status quo. Yes. But these are some of the things that do happen throughout life when they're at the maturity to kind of understand it. Um, And I don't think that changed based on your race or anything. I just think that the topics that you need to be discussing openly in your family shift. Yeah, I, I I think it's important to understand that a lot of us don't understand our advantage until we experience disadvantage. Mm. And that comes as a rude shock sometimes, especially when you, by that stage, like I was 32 when I became pregnant with 
Hamish. And that was the first time that I had experienced disadvantaged. And by that stage, I was a, you know, a pretty, I was a a person who understood myself. I had an identity. I had a belief in who I was and what my self-worth was and what I could achieve. And suddenly there were these things from the outside that were telling me otherwise. And that was the beginning of my matrescence. That was the beginning of that experience. Mm. Um, Yeah. I don't think that it's necessarily something we can solve. It's just... But do you feel like if there was um, more of a constructive conversation during school yeah, or even in um, uh, like prenatal classes? Yeah. I think so. Look, I think we have to do that. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, whether it hits the mark or not, I think we have to start doing it. Yeah. But, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, um, one of my, my clients, and she's pregnant with her first due in, in January, and I was asking her how she was feeling and she was talking completely about the birth. And that was me, yeah? Yep, so me too. You know, I was so focused on what that experience was going to be like and <laughs> I was, I'm laughing because... <laughs> The experience with Hamish was was horrible, like in that it was a 29-hour labour and it was, um, yeah, it was a hard experience. Whereas Maxie was like six and a half hours, um, didn't need even Panadol, you know, that was fine. And I'm laughing because I actually, (laughs) I can't believe I'm admitting this, but I just watched um, Save the Last Dance. (laughs) And during my labour with Max, I was like, it's just one hoop at a time. Like literally it's just one push at a time and that's what got me through. But um, anyway, that's not constructive or helpful. Um, so I think, I think it is about educating people about the changes that could happen in their life. But I personally think it's more about what we do once that baby does arrive because I think a lot of the time women may be not in the position to understand it, hear it, cope with it, process it. Absolutely. Um, and with all the hormonal shifts that happen around that time, which, yeah. you know, you've touched on in other podcasts, it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. We touched on before that there's so much to juggle as parents and then returning to work is just one of those yeah. juggling balls. So what do you think underpins that matrescence identity shift yeah. that women go through when we become mums? Mm. And how does that link to returning to work? Mm. I'll share. I'll share my story in this space because it was not something that I was aware of. The first time that I heard the word matrescence was when you used it on one of our phone calls ages ago. Yeah, and I was like, "What's that word? I've got to look into that." Um, so, I, I mentioned before, you know, I had I'd probably say that I was in that category of sleep anxiety. Um, you know. I didn't have postnatal depression, but definitely postnatal anxiety because of a lack of, of sleep. Mm. Um, I still shush Martin at night time and it drives him nuts yeah. and I still do it. Um, you know, I mentioned I had four rounds of mastitis, but all of that has been manageable. The biggest hit for me has been my pelvic floor, which is totally like shh, embarrassing, taboo. But one in four Australians suffer from, from poor pelvic floor health. Mm. Um, why is that relevant? Exercise was a huge part of my identity. Um, all through school, I did a lot of exercise. My physical health was almost a fuel for my confidence and my self-belief and my happiness. And, you know, I was walking before I was pregnant with Hamish, I was walking and running about 30 to 40 K a week. Um, I used to, to run into work, which would gear me up for the day 
deliver and then I'd walk home from work to, to unwind so that, as you can tell, I can get a bit deep and analytical <laughs> so I didn't completely overwhelm Martin when I got home. Um, and in hindsight, it was that exercise that was giving me mental clarity, a lot of focus, and it really dro- uh, drove, um, my, as I said, my self-belief and my self-worth. So when I discovered that I had a hypertonic pelvic floor... What's that mean? So hypertonic just means that my pelvic floor muscles have always been on. That's probably the best way to describe it. So um, leading into my pregnancy with Max, I, so it was a problem going in with Hamish and I tried to do some runs in between my two pregnancies. My boys are two, in a, two years and two months apart. So I had a, a period of, of time in, in between and I always was just like, Ugh, you know, what's going on here? This isn't good. And so I started doing physio, mm. um, like thousands of Kegels, which was just the most horrible experience. The only good thing about that is people can't tell you're doing them, so you can do them anyway. Um, (laughs) But um, it just means you're always on. So leading into the pregnancy with Max, my muscle got tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. It often can lead to prolapse. Um, That didn't happen for me, which I was very fortunate, but I certainly had um, issues in that space. And instead of doing a million Kegels, I should have been getting a heat pack and putting my, my, um, my feet up. But who knew? Yeah. Right? This is what we're talking about. Who knew? Um, So this has been probably one of the biggest things that I've grieved for um, in my whole pregnancy and motherhood experience. It's had a ripple effect. So no exercise has meant my identity became really shaky, partnered with no space for personal hobbies. And I just felt like a former, I don't know, a shadow of my former self, if you like, and that impacted my confidence. So... Um, it started me thinking about when you're depleted in one key area of your life, what does that mean for the other key areas and how does it reframe those other key areas of your life? And in particular, what does it do to your confidence, your identity and your clarity? Um, when I spoke to friends about these the challenges of returning to work, I found that they would be talking about returning to work, but when I unpicked it with them, It was underpinned by other things. So, for example, maybe the support at home wasn't great and so they couldn't fathom how they could return to work because they were the primary carer and there was no flexibility or an open dialogue with their partner about the support that they needed. Um, They felt that they were failing in the mum role and they didn't know from a social expectations perspective and they didn't know... um, ..if they were going to put work into that mix, how were they going to, to cope from a failure perspective, once again, that that pressure. Then there were big considerations like having a second child. What's the point in going back to work when it's so hard already and I'm probably going to be off again in 12 months' time because we we want another child? Um, The physical logistics of turning up every day and that list just goes on and on and on. So it forced me to reflect on my career as a people and culture manager, um, how business managers, people and culture professionals facilitate that process and enable parents to not only participate but to, to thrive at work. And as you know, I've been working on a program called the Contours Program. Yes. Are you okay with me talking about about that? It it is in relation to this question. Well, it's how we, it's how we started chatting. It is. um, Because a mutual friend of ours um, said, Mm. you guys have to talk to each other. (laughs) Thank goodness Um, she did. I know. (laughs) Um, And so please. Okay. So the, the program is, aiming to support parents and employees to establish 
more meaningful, productive and positive return to work outcomes. Um, But the program extends beyond boundaries of work. So as a product, it will be two portals, one for employers, one for parents. And whilst there are important sort of linkages across the two the two programs, they also operate in isolation and they're designed to really work as a choose-your-own-adventure in recognition that each experience is nuanced. Um, so for the primary carer, the program moves beyond work life by covering home life, a sense of self, physical health, emotional health, uh, social and cultural expectations that impact on confidence, identity and clarity, which in turn shapes what we're willing to ask for, what we're willing to negotiate on, what we're willing to accept and um, the way we present during that to work, return to work experience. It takes women from feeling overwhelmed to educated and accepting their situation. You know, you I know you've been using the word, I think it's surrender. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm reframing to accepting. <laughs> they mean the same thing. Um, to feeling motivated and, you know, ultimately to be fulfilled. But that that is a stretch. That takes time, I think, to yeah. get to. For employers, the program normalises the challenges that come with supporting employees returning to work. Um, and I want to just highlight that can be really hard for employers mm. to do. Um, the content covers best practice approaches and provides different tools to assess the work environment. Also touches on what the parenting experience is. Um, how it, it looks at how we can develop more compassionate managers. It outlines um, legal obligations and provides all the useful scripts and hands-on tools to equip managers to feel more confident about having these sorts of conversations. You know, if you have an older male who is stepping into a conversation with a younger female saying, do you plan to pump your breast milk um, at work? Mm. That can be really challenging. Legally, is that okay? You know, there's there's a whole plethora of reasons why we don't do this better. Um, And planning to set up online communities and regular webinars to do deep dive on on particular topics and one-to-one coaching um, to provide additional support. So the program is all going to be broken down into bite-sized chunks that fits within nap time or lunch time because that's how we consume information. Yes. Um, And if I can do a really quick shout-out, if there are any clinical specialists out there um, who can relate or just any specialists that can relate to what I've just talked about who'd love to become involved in that program. Yep. I am would love to hear from you. <laughs> I'd love to have a conversation. And also in the new year, I'm going to be running some focus groups to just really refine the content and make sure that it, it hits the mark. So, so focus groups with um, employers or employees? Employees. So with in the first instance, I think the rollout will be with mothers because mm-hmm. I think that we need to – I need to um, absolutely nail that program yep. in order to make it effective on the employer side as well. I have a bunch of people who can, oh, who amazing. can talk to. Amazing. I would, love, I would love to talk to them. Um, yeah, I'd be deeply appreciative for their involvement. What's really come out of this conversation for me – is that we need to stop, and like you said earlier, we need to stop saying, you know, work-life balance mm. as if they're these two completely yeah. isolated things yeah. uh, and we need to be able to look at it all as a whole Yeah, because one affects the other mm. and both are affected by everything else that happens yeah. along the way. Yeah, um, And our life can't necessarily be broken into two different spaces. 
Absolutely. And two different, you know, two different spaces that are um, completely inflexible on time. And that, that is it, bro. I just have a new client that's coming on in two weeks' time and the conversation I had with, um, with them right from the get-go is I used to start at 7am and I used to work all the way through to whatever time I had to knock off. I can't do that anymore. I just can't do it. So my workday starts at 830 and it stops at 4.30, I pick up my children, I care for them, I put them to bed and I do another hour in the night time. Yep. And that's how I work now. And that client's like, that's no problem. Of course that'll work. Um, it's that type of attitude to recognise that this is about work-life integration and bringing your whole self to work mm. and your whole self to, to life. That sounds a bit corny, doesn't it? But No, but it's a really succinct um, and meaningful way of putting it it can't be different no you know we're going to we're going to fail we're going to burn out we're going to be pretending it's going to feel less authentic and if you're less authentic in any part of your day you're not bringing your best self to the table so what's something empowering that you would say ah, to yes <laughs> <laughs> i think you've already said a lot oh that's um, kind but uh, what's something empowering that you would say to parents? <laughs> Look, if you are an expecting mother, do not, do not buy onesies with press studs. Oh. Right? <laughs> yes. If you are gifting to a new mum, do not buy onesies with press studs. It has to be a zip has to that be a goes zip. both ways. Both ways. Also, onesies that go over the head. Oh, don't care how cute it is. No. Just please, because if we're having a poo explosion at 2am, yeah, we're not, I'm not dealing with press stars. I've cut things off my girls. <laughs> Very reasonable. Um, everybody have prenatal and postnatal internal examinations. Don't be afraid of it. It's a very common thing and it, you need to know the health of your pelvic floor, even if you are a very fit and healthy person. It can happen to anyone. Um, new mamas, you're not failing. Uh, for many women, this is honestly the biggest transformation of their lives. It's not a pebble in your shoe. This is a, a massive mountain that you are trying to, to climb over. Um, and if you need support, if you need to be able to explore your emotions, um, don't hesitate to reach out to people. Please lower your ex expectations of yourself because it's okay if things are not as neat and tidy and organised as, as they once were. You've got new people in your lives that you need to tend to. So be kind to yourself. Reach out to your real networks, um, to the people that know and love you. And, you know, my measure of that is who can I do some really ugly crying with? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's who we're talking to. That's who we should be reaching out to. Social media is not your friend. Social media has... Um, information at the tip of your finger and I, I really get that and I get that if you're desperate and especially if you're sleep deprived. And it's convenient. it's 4am. Yeah, and if it's 4am and I get that it's escapism. But just <clears throat> remember in school, primary school, people used to tell you to hold up your hand <laughs> and be like you need one person for each finger and your thumb. Yeah, and that's your – had an, it had a name like it was. you, you know, you – trust circle or yeah. something <laughs> it still applies right yeah. you need you need five people you don't need five you need people in your life that are authentic and that know you and that care for you mm. um you know I'll never forget when Hamish was giving me sub two hours overnight sleep 
and I was at mum and dad's and it was coming into the night time and I started getting shakes and I started to, they were like, oh, you better get home to put him to bed. And I, and I just broke. I completely broke because I was so scared about going home and going into that lonely night and knowing I wasn't going to get any sleep. And my parents hadn't realised that, because we don't, we don't show people. We, they didn't realise what was happening to me. And, um, and the moment they saw it, mum looked at me and she said, right, I want to see you <laughs> 8 a.m. tomorrow here. And f- for three weeks I went over to their house. I don't know if it was daily, it might have been, and I slept for six hours. I only woke to, bre- to breastfeed and they looked after Hamish. And I just got myself a- up again to mm. a point where I could think about a new routine, think about how to change this problem, this cycle that we were in. Mm. So you need, to, you need to reach out to your networks and be vulnerable. That's probably it. (laughs) I've said enough. (laughs) I'm done. I'm done. Thank you so much to Renee for chatting with me today. You are so generous with your vast and valuable knowledge. There are a bunch of useful links in the show notes, including some references Renee talks about in this episode, as well as a link to her website, The People Paradox. If you would like to be part of the focus groups for Renee's Contours program, uh, if you are either an employee or an employer, there are also links to register for that and those groups will be held in 2022. Mummification is produced and hosted by me, Brodie Matner. Our beautiful music is composed by Ben Talbot Dunn. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You'll be notified when a new episode is released and it helps us reach new audiences, which in turn will hopefully help more women feel less alone. Thanks for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 